Welcome to 42 Answers from Founders for Founders, a podcast series brought to you by Project A Ventures, the operational VC. My name is Rainer Berak, operating partner at Project A, and our guest today is Sven Lackinger. Welcome, Sven. Thanks for having me, Rainer. In this podcast, we talk to great founders and we ask them the same set of questions in the domains that we think matter tremendously for building a successful company. And these are tech, growth, people, data, and ESG. Sven, thanks for being here. Please tell our audience who you are, what you do, and why you do it. Hi, um, my name is Sven. I'm the founder and CEO of Sestrify, and uh, we run a tech company that helps other tech companies buy and manage their software stack as efficiently and uh, as yeah as easy as possible. Why How did you get to that? Company? Exactly. What, what what drives you? How did you get to that? Well, we, we, we had a different tech startup before in the field of parking. Um, and uh, we've known it from our own experience. So my co-founder Max is our CTO. I was more on the commercial side. So the whole topic of costs, license costs, software costs uh, was basically a daily topic between the two of us. Um, and then we just found that many, many other companies have that same issue. Your target group are other other startups, other other digital companies. Yeah, we work with basically any company between a hundred and five to ten thousand people um, all around the globe. Uh, mo many of them startups, so Series B, C stage companies, and further, but also some public companies. Uh, really, anything in that in that size. Cool. Thanks a lot for that. And now let's get started. People. If you would start a company today, what would be your first five hires? So our biggest learning here was to hire top down as much as possible. Obviously, you won't get the super experienced VP of sales from day one, uh, but you will get somebody that has done it before. And I think for the two of us, um, what, we, what we looked for was great people to lead teams from even if there were no teams. Uh, and that was basically uh, head of tech, head of product, um, and head of operations. One of the biggest learnings was I can only recommend hiring a chief of staff or founders or end founders associate very early uh, to take care of operational work. So your secret weapon, somebody who can just like kick stuff aside, like like take care of stuff. Overall. Exactly. Just yeah. get get stuff done. Yeah. Um, that's typically ending up on the on the founder's table because nobody yeah. else wants to do it. Um, <laughs> that's typically um, where, where it can just be a tremendous asset uh, yeah. and really helps you focus on the right things. Were these your first five hires? Uh, yes, we actually um, managed it. This time we did it uh, very well, I think. Um, and uh, the only thing we were missing there was actually marketing. So we should have hired somebody for marketing way earlier. Um, because we were lagging on that pretty much six or 12 months even. What are the hardest hires today? So I would say in today's markets, it's still sales and customer success. Um, so great salespeople that are not only performing well, but that also bring and have the right culture. Um, we are a fully distributed company, so that's even more important there. And uh, the other part uh, is, of, is for us definitely... Definitely uh, product managers and designers. Okay. How do you measure employee satisfaction? I think 
in general, we run on a very um, yeah open and transparent mindset. What depending on feedback, so anything anybody that doesn't like anything, um, they should be really open uh, to to talk about it. Um, more formally, though, we do quarterly pulse checks um, on various categories, and that measured by both um, team and then category. Do you use any tool for that? Uh, Leapsum, actually. Okay. How do you measure employee performance? Well, we're unfortunately also lagging behind on that a little. Um, so right now it's a bit freestyle, to be honest, uh, because we've grown so fast over the past couple of months. Um, but we're now bringing in our first 360-degree uh, feedback concept, also based on Leapsum, probably, um, to really have the first... Yeah, goes along with our career framework and have those first um, first review cycles uh, in this quarter still. Jenny is, by the way, one of the next uh, people that I'm having here in this podcast, so I bet she will love hearing that. <laughs> Jenny yeah, from, that's from, a, no, from I think it's very helpful, very helpful concept. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite org chart? How would you structure an organization in order to be successful? I think for me, it's whatever makes most sense, and that might actually be a bit different for any organization. Um, mm -hmm. what we try to do is to keep it as lean as possible. One very good recommendation that we got early on was uh, to not hire C-levels from day one. So still until today, nobody in the company has a C-level title because if we're going to grow to an IPO stage company, you might still need different people um, to, to run the show, uh, including mm -hmm. ourselves. Um, and I think that is a very important one. Um, and uh, yeah, other than that, it's really where, where we see it, that it makes most sense, uh, and try to have very lean teams there. You, you mentioned earlier that you would start hiring very senior people. So, but basically you go for, you start with like level two, but everybody knows by the moment they're coming that in some future, in case the company actually like uh, is very successful, there might be somebody hired above for so that expectations are managed i guess right it always exactly it always depends obviously there will be people that grow as fast as the company uh -huh. um even even for us as founders it's sometimes hard to grow as fast as the company does if, it, mm -hmm. if it's on a, on a good track um at the same time uh some people might not and then you really need them to be open to the concept of somebody more senior more experienced coming in and still being eager to learn i think that's the most important one um, that you bring in people, and if you, if, especially if you have to bring in people on top of uh, of people that are like fr there from day one, um, they have to be really somebody that they can still learn from, so they also accept them as leaders. Yeah. And actually, a very good remark, in my opinion, that you made regarding also on founder level, I think some of the best founders and most successful companies that I've seen, uh, the founders actually at some point stepped aside and said, from this stage on, Them, there, there are people who can take it further better than me uh, and that will also be good for, for themselves. So I, I think that's a very fair uh, thing to say to, for, by, by whoever in a company, no matter which level. I fully agree. Also on your, on your mark, uh, that the, it, sometimes it's also more fun. So some people mm -hmm. just enjoy the early stages more than yeah. the later stages. Yeah. Um, for us, it's basically we want to ideally run as fast and as long as we go. Uh -huh. um, but uh, there might be people that just enjoy like the first couple of months of a startup and then mm -hmm. handing it over if it's uh, well run to somebody that you really trust. I think that's a very good concept. Yeah. What's your approach to culture? 
I think there's two things uh, to mention there. One is trust. So anybody that starts at Sassify um, gets a lot of trust from day one. Um, and then it's really, so you don't have to earn that. We credit it to you and then you have, can live by it. Um, and then the other one is really to live by your beliefs. Um, and I think that's, yeah, what for us, it, a lot of it comes naturally, but you also have to create the platform for people to build that culture. Um, and you want, you have to lead by example there. I think that's probably the most important one. Mm -hmm. Do you more believe in remote first or office first and how do you handle it in your company? So my personal opinion is that remote first is the only way. Um, not meaning that people shouldn't see each other um, or shouldn't spend time with each other. But I think uh, the times of everybody sitting in the same office all the time is they're just over. Um, so that will not happen. And basically then the other extreme is only that you can be remote first. And then mm -hmm. if people meet, it's still beneficial. And if they want to work in the same co-working space or the same office, also fine. But the company itself has to run on a remote first place. Tech. Uh, I think we have already established Sestrify is clearly a tech company, right? 100%. That's our daily, daily challenge uh, that we're working on. And as such, you do have a product team, I guess. You have developers. Is one or the other side in the lead? So definitely product uh, as an advocate of the customer. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's probably the most important one because from day one, we had customers before we had the product. So we really try to build the product alongside uh, what we see out there and what makes what we think that makes sense for them. Therefore, product has has to lead the discussion, in my opinion. Is there a specific role? I mean, I guess uh, the decision on what to develop next is with product. Is there a specific role who decides that? Is it one person? Is it uh, is it a certain team or how, who takes the last decision on the roadmap, the next sprint, etc.? So in the end, it's, uh, I think the, the final call, if needed, uh, has to probably be done by our VP of product. Um, mm -hmm. At the same time, it's definitely a group decision, both in terms of the leadership team and what we see that it's needed in sales and operations and so on. So what, what makes us win? Um, and then also by the product managers and the tech teams together um, to figure out what makes basically, yeah, what's just the next thing to do and the next uh, thing to focus on. But if sales and product would have a conflict here, the VP product is the one to make the final call. In the end, he's the, uh, as he, he calls himself the CEO, uh, the C, the CEO <laughs> of the product. Uh, so I think that's, that's pretty much where we, where we have to go there. Okay. How does this decision-making process work? So we work with the rolling uh, roadmap um, that we discuss both in those, basically those two teams. So in the product and tech team and also in the leadership team to get the input from the other uh, parts of the organization. And then basically what we do is we plan in, like as any other product organization, probably plan in sprints um, and uh, basically yeah, focus on what we can done and what has most impact on our, on our objectives. Uh, maybe what are the durations uh, of a sprint in your case and, and how often do you review the roadmap? So we reviewed the roadmap at least once a month. Um, okay. That's pretty, because it's a, sigma, it's a six month roadmap um, mm -hmm. based on the confidence, like the next three months, we're quite confident on, on the bets. And then the next three months, they're more vague. Uh -huh. um, and then uh, pretty much, I think we're now 
shipping once a week, um, which is more or less our sprint cycle. Um, and we're now even increasing that uh, to, to be able to ship more often. Okay. What's your take on product-led growth? We are not a product-led growth company. Um, so I think it is obviously a great model, um, but it's not the only great model. I think that is probably um, what, what, what's out there. I think uh, it, for us, it's pretty plain, normal field, not field sales, but sales. Uh, so we talk to people, we convince them to start with us. Um, I think there's yeah, basically checks and balances on, on both sides there. Mm -hmm. Which role does design play at Sestrify? It's uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, as it's hard to get design good designers on board and to find them. Um, you can already see that it's a very important topic for us. Uh, I think a lot of how much fun it is to use a tool. Um, it's not only UX but also like how it looks like. So I think good design differentiates, um, especially in today's world where it's just in, in SaaS companies, there's just so much stuff out there. So for us, it's a super important differentiator against uh, competition. Yeah. Um, would you ever outsource software development? So we tried in various ways and various stages, different companies. Um, I think you have to be, or how our head of engineering puts it, you have to be ready to outsource. Otherwise, it almost never works. So you have mm -hmm. to actually to have the internal capacity to manage the outsourcing partner. Otherwise, mm -hmm. you will almost 100% probability you will fail. Growth. If you think about the complete funnel from brand to marketing, sales, customer success, do you have all of these functions? We have all of the all of the topics covered, but not all of them have a specific function to them. Um, like, especially for example, brand is not a like certain function for us. Mm -hmm. Um, and the only thing that we're missing is basically the account management piece still. Um, so the commercial customer success part. Um, we will get back to brand later. So I don't follow up <laughs> question here or follow up ask here. Um, if you think about these different functions, um, is there any of them in the lead and, and is, is there a certain structure among them? Is there like one reporting to the other? What's the role of the person on top of, of all these revenue functions? So we have, um, we have basically a sales. So on the, on the revenue side, it's mostly marketing and sales. Um, as a, and account management would then be part or customer success part of sales. So it's, we have a marketing function, we have a sales function. Um, both of them run very closely on ARR, so annual recurring revenue, which is our main growth metric in, as a SaaS business. Um, and that's also how both of them are aligned. Basically, both of them have the target of how can we increase our ARR. Um, and that's the, the metric that's most important for both marketing and sales. Is there a person on top of marketing and sales, like one, I don't know, chief revenue officer or so? Uh, no, there isn't. Um, both report actually into me. Uh, and I'm also not, so at least in our current stage, I'm not a big fan of a joint position uh, between marketing and sales. Um, because I think there's, uh, there's very few people that can do both really, really well. Yeah. Um, so that's why we, we, we are more believers in terms of having a VP marketing and the VP of sales. 
So now if you work along this funnel and well, when things are great, they are great. If things don't work so well, then between marketing and sales, you easily have them go into silos, blame each other. Sales says the leads weren't good. Um, uh, and, and marketing says sales is probably not good enough to convert them. How can you avoid that this blame game starts and that they work in silos? Yeah, I think, so first of all, there's a very classic topic in, term, in terms of just having them in regular like alignment meetings. Um, and also what we did is in both teams, we have champions that basically report on like, there's one salesperson who educates the sales team on what marketing is currently doing and the other way around. Um, I think that that works extremely efficient for us. Uh, the other part that I would mention is that we have both on the joint mission, uh, as I mentioned before, on AR. So basically, mm-hmm. both have the same target in the sense of what we want to achieve. Um, mm-hmm. So there's no, so it's it's not one team blaming the other, uh, but it's basically if we fail on that, we fail on it together. Um, is the incentive structure also accordingly? So I'll both. I, I don't know if you work in these fields with bonuses, but if yes, do they are they do they basically get bonuses based on the same KPI in that case? Uh, partially. So we have uh, marketing is more on an SQL base, which is mm-hmm. basically the first meeting a client takes with us uh, mm-hmm. if it's a qualified one, and the and sales is then more or less purely on ARR. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, but there's also like parts of the sales team that are again on those SQLs. So it's a very like it's actually those two metrics: so number of people that we talk to and AR that results out of that. Those are pretty much the most important KPIs there. Okay, how important is brand for you? So in our field, I would say it's it, the brand itself as a software business. Um, I, I'm always a big fan of basically. As long as you have some sort of decent name and appearance, uh, you're really free to choose in the software field because in the end, uh, people will get used to it anyways. Um, however, uh, I think in our world, being a thought leader and being recognized is probably even more important um, than if your brand name is A or B. Um, I think there, so being some sort of memorable is probably the, the important part. Um, so how you approach that, how do you achieve that? So what we do is obviously there's a content strategy to it in terms of having many articles on the field that we are in, which in our case is software procurement, uh, in general. Um, and then the other really plain strategies be everywhere. So <laughs> I think there's not a single, there's not a single software SaaS conference where we are not in some sort of way. It's not always me, sometimes it's the team, sometimes it's just the, the sponsoring and the logo, but I think being everywhere uh, within where your customers are or potential customer, that's pretty much what we focus on. Um, which marketing channels do you use and why these specific ones? So I think I'll start with events, um, just because this year events are back and travel is back and uh, people want to meet. Uh, so I think it's very efficient for us. We can meet a lot of people at, the, at those events and then basically convert, like kickstart conversations. Uh, besides that, for us, it's mostly very classic Google and LinkedIn. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, those, those are pretty much, in terms of paid channels, that's pretty much the, the main channels that we use. Other than that, it's mostly partnerships or, or channel partners. But um, mm-hmm. I would say probably events, LinkedIn and, and Google advertising is probably the most important one. 
What's your take on performance marketing? Some people, like our CMO, say it's dead or dying soon, at least in the way we knew it. Is that your view as well? I wouldn't say it's dead, but it was basically reduced to just being one of many channels. Mm -hmm. um, because uh, you, can't, you can't build a brand, for example. I mean, B2C, it's even heavier now, but you just can't build a brand on performance marketing only. You have to find, um, yeah, basically um, original channels that you also can use. You do have salespeople. I think we have established that. How many? How, how large is the team? So we've uh, we were about four people uh, six months ago, and now we're more mm -hmm. than twenty five. Um, wow! So it's, uh, it's been it's been <laughs> quite a ride. There was a lot of lot of onboarding, um, and we also like basically we covered the whole. Five, like five European markets um, with both uh, sales development representatives and uh, account executives. And now we're also building a team in the US there. So then that brings us to the, to, to the key question here. Where do you find good digital savvy salespeople? Yeah, I mentioned it at the people part in the early beginning. It's just difficult. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's... Uh, we are somewhat as we are somewhat that meta layer of software as a service i think people are genuinely interested um but it's very very difficult to get good sales people um and it's also very expensive typically mm -hmm. so you need to have the right uh right margins and growth to sustain it uh, is there any any trick anything that you would recommend uh we had we had some founders here who said You can basically forget it about the market out there. You just have to like bake your own ones, build your own yeah. academy for that or anything like 100%, that. 100%. So what we do is uh, I had a very good, I attended a conference uh, in the States a couple of weeks ago. And uh, I think there was the CEO of a very like, like 800 million AR company. And mm -hmm. he basically said uh, what they did really well and who was really running the show was the sales development representative. So typically the first job you get um, with like 20 something year olds. Um, and if you hire great people there, then they will automatically after one or two years become account executives. And then you will have great account executives. So I think building like starting with just great people right out of university or even just out of some like some other educational form uh, is probably the best way to, to bake them yourself. Data. How does data make Sasprify successful? How, where is it in the company? How do you use it? So as we deal with basically all the software subscriptions that our clients have, um, next to just having a process on how to handle those software subscriptions, data is actually the most important piece of what we do. Uh, a very vivid example of this is just knowing what a good price for a certain software subscription is. So is it a 10% discount? Is it a 50% discount? Um, how much should you pay per license there? This is like one of the most important data pieces. Um, and then anything else basically derives from that, right? Any sort of like structured data approach on what to buy and where to buy it um, is built on top, of, on top of that commercial model. Okay. Which functional areas are supported by your data team, assuming you have a specific, like a dedicated data team? Yeah, we don't have one yet. Um, so right now it's, it's basically a function of the finance team, um, which supports, and it's somewhere in between finance on the more commercial pieces, 
um, and then more on the on the product development side. So basically, usage data and how we can we can basically derive of what makes most sense to our customers. Um, those are probably the two um, areas that we that we focus on. Okay. Um, bit specific questions, but one that I always like to hear from people who are close to the data topic. Um, would you tell your data team to answer specific questions or should they be free to explore data and try to find opportunities? So I'm not a big fan of having data and data teams just to have data and data teams. Um, and because it's cool and, and uh, there's some AI somewhere. Um, so for me, it's really like we have some business questions or product questions that we want to have answered um, and how can we answer them efficiently and what does the data tell? So we're a very data-driven company in a sense that um, we, we are not big believers of what person A or B thinks, but it's more about what the data shows. Mm -hmm. um, but that's always related to, to specific questions or just in general tracking our metrics. Um, And, and learning and testing hypotheses there. So how can you make sure that once the people explore the data, that they really do take the decisions that the data recommend instead of following their gut feeling? So we try to, um, or not even try to, but basically we, we steer the company on OKRs, objectives and key results. Mm -hmm. um, obviously objectives is a broad, broader one, but the key results are very like specific, measurable um, and Then what we do is we translate the findings out of the data into the respective key results. And also the, then the tracking of metrics also counts again in those key results. That's pretty much how we um, yeah, make it more actionable. Okay. Any specific tool or type of infrastructure that you are using in the data area? So we're still at the, at the early days there. Um, I think some of it is definitely with uh, within Metabase for us, and mm -hmm. some other stuff is in Retool. I think those are probably the two most most used ones uh, right now. Okay, what's your the current structure of your data teams, and and which roles do you think will come up there probably in in the next few years of of your company? Yeah, so I think the so right now it's really as I as I mentioned earlier, it's I think the, our like part of our finance team, um, part of the operations and part of the product team. Mm -hmm. um, what will come up and what might come up in the future is also the pool grows. I think that whole platform piece on, on structured data and how we can make most use of the data that we see at our clients, um, that might become part of that platform team uh, on even having a better price benchmarks, um, being faster on that, that will probably be the, the next, next step there. Okay. Uh, would you consider locating the data team in your org chart elsewhere in the future? Have it a more have it as a more independent team? I don't know, maybe reporting to you or to your co-founder? Yeah, so that might be so having it more on a business development function um, mm -hmm. might be an option. Um, at the same time, uh, we also think that uh, founders tend to have too many direct reports anyways. Um, <laughs> so uh, we're also big believers in having that like having them as a supportive team of where they make sense but don't have them report directly into the founders but maybe into the CFO or VP of Finance or mm -hmm. in that direction Okay. How about GDPR? Is it a struggle or an opportunity for you? I think it's a reality <laughs> that's, the, that's <laughs> probably um, so for us 
it's actually for us it's actually an opportunity because it makes us win against our US competitors in Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's the the fun flag that you basically put out at the end of the sales conversations like and by the way we're a German company so we are fully like compliant with anything that's GDPR. Mm-hmm. Um, so that helps a lot on the European side. It's actually also gets more interesting in the US right now. Um, so I would say in general, but also we are not dealing with too much of personal data. Um, so for us, it's rather lightweight um, on the on the effort side and rather big on the opportunity side. Yeah, I would actually love to understand that better. Maybe that could be something that we should put it or, or we can probably just Google it. Uh, how many companies have actually switched uh, software as a service providers because uh, of of their location related to to GDPR. I just know quite a number of companies who have changed quite a number of of, of suppliers here exactly for that reason. So yeah. yeah, there's whole tools that are not being used anymore from a certain level, right? So most most companies once you get to like a hundred hundred something people, that the, the topic is becoming more and more relevant, and you just end up uh, being not able to use some of the tools. Yeah. Environmental, social, and governance. Why didn't you start an ESG company? That's a very uh, <laughs> interesting question. Um, I think in general for us, when we looked into, basically after we sold our last startup, um, we, en- we ended up in basically uh, knowing that we wanted to, buy, uh, to build something new. And there were just so many ideas and options out there, some even in those fields. Um, but in the end, uh, what we do with Sastrify, basically enabling companies to have the right software stack to enable new work was more or less for us the, yeah, just the most appealing option where we were at most like personal motivation in. Okay. What does Sastrify do internally in order to help our environment? So... We have one. Uh, <laughs> we, we have one part in our basically that's very interesting because we're a remote first company, so we tend to at least for the last couple of months. Uh, but even today, there's not a lot of like commuting. There's not a lot of traveling or something involved in that. Um, so we have actually quite at least from an ecological perspective, uh, we have a quite good footprint, I would say, um, which is getting worse now that <laughs> there's all those conferences going on. Um, so a lot about uh, what we do internally is basically educating people, incentivizing them to, like, for inner German flights, rather take the train. Um, so the, the, the basics, um, but that's pretty much where, where we stand right now. Which role does the S in ESG, so social, play in the way you run your business? One thing that makes us special is that we have grown to a very international organization very early on. Um, so our one of our first employees um, is is still located uh, in, in Lagos in Nigeria, um, and now we have people from the U.S. to Lebanon to Helsinki. Um, so it's just this very like cultural part where everybody has the same not, not same belief but same basically vision for the company that we work for, um, and that really around the world. And I think that is a very cool setup because it brings together so many different cultures, viewpoints, um, and that at the very early stage. So I don't know how many, I think it's 20-something nationalities by now uh, in a company of like 100 people. Um, mm-hmm. So that's, that's a very cool setup. 
And last but not least, governance, the G in ESG, um, often not so much looked at by startups, but any criteria uh, that you follow here? So what we define for ourselves is uh, that we want to be an organization of grown-ups um, and that people should make uh, decisions that make sense to them. Um, and I think that's pretty much how we treat it. So uh, we're not big fans of uh, having very strict guidelines or stuff like that, but um, having a more like, yeah, basically people taking ownership on those on those topics. Mm -hmm. From the companies that we see, there are those who just like, yeah, make sure they do nothing wrong in the field of ESG, while others put it really high and have C-level positions, um, sometimes even on founder level of uh, responsibility um, for this. Do you think this focus on ESG is something that is helping when you try to get funding from investors? Or would investors rather see that as a deflection from revenue focus? I think it's for most investors, it's probably a check mark. Uh, so you have to have it, um, especially investors that get money from public institutions as well. Um, I don't, and then it depends a lot on your industry and what you do. So it might also be a differentiator for yourself. Um, but there, I think it really depends on your actual business and um, what you what you do, if it makes a difference. Mm -hmm. Do you have something like an ESG officer at Systrify? No, we actually, we don't. Um, so we basically have, uh, we have HR and the founder's office responsible for those topics um, and then work with an external provider on the um, ESG assessment um, and uh, basically the, the ongoing uh, management. Okay. Is this where you think it should also be in the organization? Is that where you would uh, keep it close to the founder team and HR? Yeah, I think it's uh, so HR as it most of those topics touch the touch the team members a lot. Um, I think that makes sense. Um, and at the same time, having it somewhere around the founders, because otherwise you can't lead by example. And otherwise you can also not um, yeah, have an, an actual like part of your brain working on that uh, in the, in the day-to-day -day life of a startup. Thank you very much. That brings us to the last three questions. Which is the one podcast all founders should listen to? So I, I recommend the All In podcast. Um, I think that's a very, uh, yeah, very insightful one, especially in today's uh, times. Might be a bit biased for us as a software as a service company, because I think a lot of it uh, is on that topic. But uh, I think it's genuinely quite helpful in terms of understanding markets and where we are right now. What are your top two pieces of advice for early stage founders? One thing that I always stress is get customers that see value in what you do and pay you for it. Um, mm -hmm. Because our first company was way more on the topic of we like the technology. Um, mm -hmm. But in the end, a company is out there to earn money to basically do what the company does. Um, and so if there's something that people are not willing to pay you for, then you just don't have a viable business in the end. Mm -hmm. um, that's one. And then the other one is be very honest to yourself about exactly that and other topics. Um, so where you are in your own life, but uh, with regards to the startup, but also actually where the startup is at. Um, because sometimes it might just not work. 
um, and then accepting that is probably the most difficult decision that you that you can have in the early days. Thanks. Uh, maybe quick follow up on the first one. We do see a lot of companies that go basically with product that are distributed for free for quite a long time, and then at some time want to switch to monetization. And that's really hard. That's really a difficult step. So are you saying they should probably like work on that step rather earlier than later? Absolutely. I think the only time that really works is when you see massive pull and massive mm -hmm. demand. That's the only, like, if you have an app that's just getting downloaded millions and millions of times, mm -hmm. um, then you can do something like that. Then you can pull it off. Um, there's only, like, there's either revenue or users. I think one of the two. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, that's why I'm a big believer, like, it's rare that you find yourself in a situation where it just explodes in terms of, of growth on the user side. So the, actually, the revenue part might be even the easier one. Uh -huh. um, to test out. Okay. Last one. Who are the two other founders that I should ask this set of questions and you can make an introduction for me? So I would definitely recommend a very close friend of mine, uh, Felicia, uh, who's the founder of Tony Core. Um, mm -hmm. I think they, it's, yeah, it's a very interesting setup of, of business that they built and it's quite far off from the norm of the typical tech startup founder. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's that's very cool. Um, and then also Bene from Flexcavo. Um, that might be like the complete opposite to that, but just <laughs> a very interesting company that we were fortunate to uh, yeah, back as business angels. Um, so that's definitely those two. I think you will have uh, some, some good insights from them as well. Cool. Sven, thank you very much. Thanks a lot for your time and all your insights. Um, I hope the audience liked it and that you will all come back here next or second next week when we publish the next episode. Thanks for being here and all the best. Thanks, Rainer. Same to you. We hope you enjoyed our podcast. If you did, how about you subscribe on Spotify and or iTunes and give us a rating. Thanks, guys. <laughs>